Hello, everyone. You're listening to Slapdash, the podcast about history, art, science, and everything else. We're your hosts, Shannon Deaton and Jason Creekmore. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we're discussing notable conspiracy theories that have their roots in some element of outer space. Across the table from me, I have noted UFO skeptic Jason Creekmore. Jason, how are you? I have pictures, Shannon. (laughs) I have photographic evidence that they are out there. I know some folks who would like to see those pictures. (laughs) We may have some uh, men in black suits busting through the door before this episode is over. I'm all about the the, uh, UFO aliens. (laughs) Well, uh, to to begin the episode here, I thought we could start with one of the most notable regions that's associated with a lot of these conspiracy theories. And Jason, you can probably guess what this one is. It's one of the first ones that I ever, you know, uh, came to know about. Uh, I want to say Area 54. Very close. (laughs) Area 51. Oh, I was close. Okay. (laughs) And of course, this is a, a name of a highly classified United States Air Force facility located within the Nevada Test and Training Range. Uh, Details of the facility operations are not publicly known officially, but the USAF says that it is an open training range, and that's their story, and they're sticking to it, Jason, no matter how many people choose to rush that base. (laughs) We're going to talk about that. (laughs) That's what the government does. Uh, You know, it's widely thought that the facilities most likely support the development of experimental aircraft and weapons systems. In fact, if you look at some of the satellite pictures that are available, some of them have sort of been scrubbed (laughs) clean of, of imagery of the region. But you can see that there are landing strips and areas for aircraft to take off and land. So. You know, there's there's probably uh, some element of, of aircrafts going on there. Uh, but, you know, due to its secretive nature, Area 51 has become a focus of modern conspiracy theories. And there's a range of these. As I was doing the research for this episode, I was surprised uh, at some of these. Uh, some did not surprise me as much. But the most popular is that uh, some folks believe that Area 51 is used for the storage examination and reverse engineering of crashed alien spacecrafts. I have heard of that. (laughs) Um, Also, some folks believe that at Area 51, meetings or joint undertakings with extraterrestrials are known to occur. Well, I certainly hope so. (laughs) And uh, also development of exotic energy-based weapons. Uh, So that I found that one really, really compelling. I'm not sure what a... What is an exotic energy-based weapon? <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've also heard that that's the secret uh, production side of uh, Twinkies. Oh, wow. I knew that. <laughs> so that, that's, also, uh, that's also a secret worthy of, uh, of mentioning. Yeah. And, you know, as well, there have been theories that the government is developing weather control devices at Area 51. I, I sure wish they would unleash some of that here in Williamsburg and uh, you know cut out some of this cold weather. I think it's like a, a warm 29 outside. Yeah, I, I could now. use myself a really good dose of some of that there global warming <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I hear so much about. You know, my, my favorite theory about Area 51 is that it's being to, used to develop time travel and teleportation technology. So this one just kind of you know, stuck with me. I wonder if, uh, you know, if there's any satellite footage of uh, a DeLoreans being mass produced. <laughs> you see Marty McFly walking around in the <laughs> desert. <laughs> That's good stuff. You know, but this, uh, this idea of aliens and spacecrafts and, you know, all these strange te- otherworldly technologies that are being developed in Area 51 has its origins in the 1950s. 
In the mid-1950s, civilian aircrafts at the time were able to fly just under 20,000 feet, while military aircrafts flew right around 40,000 feet. So that was the best the world knew, that the best aircrafts, the most expensive ones, could fly right around 40,000 feet. Well, it's been confirmed, at least as of 2013, which is kind of interesting because that's 50, 60 years later, that the government was developing a plane called the U-2, which was an experimental reconnaissance aircraft developed in Area 51. And Jason, it could actually fly 60,000 feet, which for the 1950s was unheard of. So when the U-2 was being launched, there was unsurprisingly an increase in the number of UFO sightings reporting. Uh, The sightings occurred most often in the early evenings. Pilots who were flying the the aircrafts that could go 20, 40,000 feet saw the U-2 just kind of flying right above them, and they would immediately call into air traffic control and say, there is something in the sky, and I don't know what it is, because these are trained pilots, and these are people who understand how you know aerodynamic uh, dynamics work, and they understand how aircrafts work, and they know that nothing that they're aware of can fly right, that yeah, high. These, these are professionals. Yeah, yeah. So that I think that added a lot of you know credence to what was being said at the time. So the U.S. Air Force obviously couldn't tell anyone <laughs> what they were developing. So when these claims came up. They explained that people were seeing natural phenomenon and high altitude weather research. And that just sort of added to the whole idea of, wow, there's there's something going on because that doesn't make sense to me, you know, because legitimately these things were being seen. You know, I, I know later on uh, possibly people could have, you know, made up, oh, I saw a UFO. But at least in the beginning, people were seeing this U-2 aircraft. And as a result of that, they, they knew something existed. So when the government came back and said, oh, that was just a natural phenomenon, or that was some high-altitude weather research that was taking place, that immediately sent off their, you know, their radar a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, many sightings came to the Air Force's Project Blue Book, and this was an actual governmental agency which investigated UFO sightings for a while since they were so prevalent in the, in the United States. The government said, well, let's, let's look into this. Uh, unfortunately, Project Blue Book was not to last. In 1970, it was terminated, <laughs> and the following information was released. Now, I-, I want you to listen to this report, Jason. And, you know, for those who just hardcore believe in, consp- in this conspiracy, you know, that the government is withholding information about Area 51, they would say, of course, th- these are the findings of the report, right? They, they cannot be convinced that, you know, this is just how it, how it actually happened. But there, there were three points made uh, following Project Blue Book before it was terminated. Number one, no UFO reported, investigated, and evaluated by the Air Force was ever an indication of threat to our national security. <laughs> wink, wink, nod, nod. Right. That's it. Uh, their second finding was there was no evidence submitted to or discovered by the Air Force that sightings categorized as unidentified represented technological developments or principles beyond the range of modern scientific knowledge. So, you know, flying saucers... No, you know, we, we of course we don't have those things, right? <laughs> wink, wink, nod, nod. <laughs> they say. So they say. Uh, number three, there was no evidence indicating that sightings categorized as unidentified were extraterrestrial vehicles. So Project Blue Book closes down, investigations end, and now we have all these theories. 
popping up about the existence of extraterrestrials, the study, the contact of extraterrestrials, all these modern day weapons that are being developed and reverse engineered. And this has been a legend that's existed, I know, all throughout my lifetime. I can't oh, remember yeah, certainly. Time. Yeah. When Area 51 wasn't something that I was aware of and, and wondered about. Right. You yeah. know, well, Recently, it, there's been a, a popular resurgence of uh, uh, Area 51. Uh, a Facebook event actually was posted on June 27, 2019, and it's best known as, quote, Storm Area 51, They Can't Stop Us All, end quote. <laughs> yeah, I love that title. It's uh, that will That will get the government's attention. It will, and it did. <laughs> Uh, the event was posted by a user named Maddie Roberts and would involve raiding Area 51 in search of extraterrestrial life. So the plan, Jason, was just to, you know, let's put our Nikes on. Let's, let's you know, just kind of line up and let's sprint and storm the gates. Right. Yeah. And let's see what happens. Yeah, there's there's more of us than there are bullets. <laughs> right. Is, I think, the philosophy she's going with there. Yeah. Unfortunately, that didn't pan out so well. Uh, although two million people responded that they were going to the event on, on Facebook. Facebook, and one and a half million responded that they were interested in going uh, on the day of the actual event, which as of this recording just happened a couple months ago right. on September 20th, 2019, 150 people actually showed up at the gate of Area 51, this government facility, heavily armed, very secretive. Uh, you know, if, if they truly did believe that they were developing exotic energy-based weapons, <laughs> this would be a pretty good test run for, for that technology. <laughs> it's, it, it cracks me up on Facebook where, you know, uh, I'll, I'll be invited to something. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm interested in this event sure, or I may yeah. go to it, but it's usually like birthday parties. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's usually not uh, the, the, the storming of governmental <laughs> facilities. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny. You know, so, some people are, were committed. They said they're going, but I, I find it. <laughs> A little bit even funnier, the people who just, just said they were I'm interested. Not. I'm, 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 I'm kind of interested in breaking the law and, you know, trespassing yeah. and hoping to see aliens. 50-50. Maybe. We'll see how we feel on September 20th. But these 150 people, they showed up, and obviously they were turned away. Not one single person succeeded in entering the site, or so they say. Uh, but 3,000 people did attend festivals related to the event since it was so popular and uh, uh, big. There were many festivals taking place in and around Nevada. Some of those were music festivals and arts festivals. And, yeah, there were about 3,000 people who actually flew in just to attend an event <laughs> to see what happens, right? They didn't want to actually participate. This right. may have been some of the people who were interested in going but didn't really want to <laughs> yeah. want to fly into uh, you know government territory and, and knock on the door. <laughs> Um, 10,000 people visited the area over the weekend of the event in total. So pre pretty big numbers there. But ultimately, you know, what, what's the verdict on Area 51? There's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. Nothing definitive that has ever been proven in terms of UFOs and extraterrestrials. But, you know, the, the verdict here, I think Area 51 became popular due to its secrecy and the invention of the high altitude aircraft testing that occurred around the time UFOs began being spotted. It was sort of the perfect storm in a way. So with that, uh, I think we're going to talk about one of the more notable conspiracy theories also involving extraterrestrials. So Jason, what can you tell us about a place called Roswell? Well, I can tell you a lot about Roswell. In the summer of 1947, a man named William Brazel stumbled upon some debris in a field just north of the town of Roswell, New Mexico. 
And Brazel soon reported the debris to the local sheriff and told him that he had found a flying disc uh, as part of the debris. The sheriff then notified the United States Air Force, who assumed control of the situation. And long story short, the Air Force claimed that the debris was from a basic weather balloon crash. However, the public began to buy into the flying saucer conspiracy because some of that information was leaked to the newspaper, and they kind of built that up, I'm sure, to, to sell papers. Over the years, there have been countless documentaries and movies uh, focusing on the Roswell event, many of which suggest that not only was the debris from a UFO, but that the military actually recovered the body of an alien among the wreckage. So, wow. Shannon, so thoughts on that? Not just scraps of metal, but, hey, we have an alien. <laughs> so they said it was a weather balloon, right? That's correct. Yeah, I think I saw pictures of the weather balloon, and Jason, it didn't strike me as a UFO. I mean, it it kind of had a metallic balloon look to yeah, it. it. It sort of looked like a mylar balloon at Walmart. Yeah, that, <laughs> it's kind of oh, what exactly. It's kind of what it looks like. It. So, yeah, I don't know. That's that's very interesting. Um, I'm curious to see how the event turned out. You know, Roswell is one of the most popular, uh, most recognized names, you know, among UFO investigations. Oh, but yeah. it's probably the one that's been the most debunked or the easy, the most easily debunked right. uh, of, of all the UFO uh, you know, theories and the, and the conspiracy theories. The U.S. government uh, did apparently come clean in the 1990s. Now, I did not know this, but doing some research, I found this out. That in the 1990s, so you know, around 50 years later, uh, they disclosed that the debris from the Roswell crash was not from a weather balloon but the remains of a nuclear test surveillance balloon that was created to monitor the Soviet Union during the Cold War. So oh, wow. it was a balloon, but it was not a weather balloon. Gotcha. Uh, but that, that information didn't come out to almost 50 years later uh, after the fact. So is that the balloon that's in some of the pictures? And Yes. So that, okay. that is what actually went down. It was uh, apparently a nuclear test surveillance balloon. That sounds a little scarier than aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially you know during that time period because you know we, we had a, uh, an entire episode on the Cold War yeah. and we talked about that and we're going to talk about it a little bit more uh, tonight actually, uh, but uh, yeah, absolutely. So you know, there was a lot of you know a, a lot of theories and a lot of talk about you know, when the Roswell incident occurred and I mean here we are in, in 2019 and we're still talking about it. Yeah. And, and again, there have been movies and and I think it's just one of those things where. Uh, that kind of just the, the idea of, of, of a panic and kind of set in, you know, and it just sort of spiraled out of control within society. And I think it's also uh, an example of how people really kind of wanted to believe what they wanted to believe right. and that they had a one little nugget of truth and then they just went with it. Yeah, there, there was a time in American history when the, the idea of space and anything associated with it was just very interesting to people right. <laughs> and, and like you said whenever they found one little thing that might point to oh wow there's there really is something out there they wanted to cling to that because it was very interesting it was an interesting point in time in our history right you know, and, I, and it really yeah. says a lot about the people uh and, and, I, and i think people today are, are much the same where you know you have uh, local law enforcement and you have uh, government officials explaining what this is and what's occurred but yet, many, many people's faith was put in the farmer that found it. Right. They said, this is what I saw. And so they'll dismiss all the, the opinions of the experts, and then they will, they will kind of side with the farmer or sort of side with the common man. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that, that happens a lot today in some of these you know, UFO investigations where you, know, you have a, just sort of a common person that says, well, I was out in my yard, and this is what I saw. 
right. then people's like, well, of course you did. That has to be what's occurred, right? You know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think that was especially true with, you know, going back to Area 51 because the officials who were looking into these these sightings and things didn't have the real answer themselves. And the government was, in fact, covering something up. And that made it all the more suspicious to some of right. the folks who were wanting that thing to be UFOs. But unfortunately, it was just, you know, uh, U.S. military aircrafts that were being tested. So, you know, people, they they really had this desire to be communicated with right. uh, from UFOs, right? <laughs> and so it's always struck me funny that we're talking about uh, an alien race that, you know, perhaps, you know, they, they fly across the universe on spaceships. Maybe they have laser beams. Maybe they have time travel. But yet when they want to communicate with us, the next topic I think you're going to talk about are crop circles. And I think it's kind of funny that they would choose uh, corn as a way to <laughs> to perhaps communicate with us. Of all the methods that they have, let's just make some images in some crops. Right. I think that's what we're going to go with. So, Shannon, what can you tell us about crop circles? Well, you're absolutely right. You know, crop circles uh, have been something that's been reported to be a communication directly from the stars, Jason. And and they're communicating about all sorts of things, apparently. Um, but to really define crop circles, uh, crop circles are strange patterns that appear mysteriously overnight in farmers' fields. Uh, they provoke puzzlement, delight, intrigue among the press and the public, too. Everyone gets interested in a good crop circle story, especially, you know, in, like, the, in the gather, 90s. Yeah, gather around, children. <laughs> Get the popcorn. I want to tell you a crop circle story. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, the mystery of crop circles has inspired countless books, blogs, fan groups, researchers who are actually dubbed seriologists. I had no idea there were people who actually specialized in crop circles, but they are seriologists. And it's even inspired a few Hollywood films. I think there was one called Signs. Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. I it? really, I really, it's I think Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Yeah, I really like that movie. Phoenix may yep. have been in that. Oh movie. yeah, that's right. Yep. It's a really good movie. I'm not, I've not seen it in many years. Yeah, but I enjoyed that. I think I want to go back and see it again after sort of reading yeah. through this history a little bit. But going back to the origins of crop circles, many people who believe crop circles are, you know, a sign from extraterrestrials, believe that these crop circles have been around for centuries. The, the claim is repeated on many websites. It's repeated in many books. And the primary source of evidence for this theory that crop circles has been around for hundreds of years is a, a small woodcut that was found in 1678 that appears to show a field of oat stalks laid out in a circle. And I saw a picture of this. It's just it's a, a carving into a piece of wood. It shows a farmer's field. It shows a circle, very much like a crop circle, nothing elaborate, like a literal circle. And it shows a, an, a figure actually standing in the, in the crop, sort of cutting that out. But uh, if you dig a little bit into that, you find out that that's probably more uh, likely based on a common folklore tale. Uh, the woodcut is actually of what's called in folklore a mowing devil, which is an old legend folk, <laughs> yeah, folk tale about a farmer who says, you know what? I would rather pay the devil himself to cut this oat field than pay the fee demanded. So it's, it's just sort of one of those, you know, funny kind of tales, a saying that people used to use. Uh, the source of the harvesting is not unknown. It's not it's not very mysterious. Uh, the woodcut clearly depicts the devil. I mean, when you look at it, he has his horns, he has his tail, and he's cutting the oat field with the scythe. So there's really no debate as to what the depiction is. But like you said, whenever one 
piece of evidence shows up, a lot of times the conspiracy theorists want to want to hold on to that. Oh, they just they know? just take it and run, right? Yeah, yeah, they want to believe in that. So some claim that the first crop circles, though they weren't actually called that at the time, appeared near the small town of Tully, Australia, in 1966. A farmer there said he saw a flying saucer rise up from a swampy area and fly away, leaving a circular area of debris that flattened reeds and grass. But unfortunately, police investigators said the formation was likely caused by a natural phenomenon such as a dust devil or water spout. Again, if you're a conspiracy theorist, you're looking at this as the man trying to sweep it under the rug, right? (laughs) Absolutely. You're going to run with it. You know, it's like if you're the aliens, it's like, you know, hey, you know, we, we've sent them emails. You know, yeah. we, we've we've sent them uh, radio waves. Right. You know what? Let's just let's just park this ship right here, yeah. and let's just lay down some oats. <laughs> Maybe they'll understand this. Oh man, that's awesome! Now the crop circles we've heard of today didn't appear until the 1970s. So if you're thinking about images you've seen online, that probably started to happen around the 1970s when simple circles began appearing in the English country, uh, countryside. Uh, the number and complexity of the circles increased dramatically, reaching a peak in the 1980s and 1990s when increasingly elaborate circles were produced, including those illustrating complex mathematical equations. So what is it the aliens want to communicate to us? It's the Pythagorean theory. <laughs> That's what we're looking for here. That's what we're finding out. But as with most things of this nature, it's interesting that the pattern started very simplistically, just a simple circle in a field, and then developed into these more complex radial patterns of, you know, just all sorts of mathematical equations and things. <laughs> you know, if the, if the aliens were advanced enough to fly a ship across the stars and land here on Earth, you know, they're, they're probably not going to start out with uh, <laughs> playing tic-tac-toe in a field. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'd imagine. Or maybe that's exactly what they're doing. Right. Maybe that, you know, we're interpreting it to be some kind of high intelligence communicating <laughs> with us, but maybe we're just their tic-tac-toe board. It's probably, it's probably like an like alien graffiti. <laughs> yeah, probably right. So there there is one you know, famous crop circle that that pops up or crops up (laughs) time after time. Uh, In July 1996, one of the world's most complex and spectacular crop circles appeared in England across the highway from the mysterious and world-famous Stonehenge Monument in the Wiltshire countryside. And I almost chose to to talk about Stonehenge because I know there's a lot of interesting theories around Stonehenge as well. But I thought it was also interesting that one of the most famous crop circles, one of the most elaborate crop circles, happened just across the street from Stonehenge. It was uh, this big fractal pattern called a Julia set, which is a, a sort of a mathematical equation, and was impossible to explain away as the result of a strange weather phenomenon. You cannot say that you know some spout of water or dust devil or the wind just happened to flow in a certain <laughs> way to produce this pattern. It, it's very obviously an unmistakably intelligent design. You know, whenever you see the pictures of it. There's there's no there's no guesswork there. This this is a thing and it exists and it and it's real. Um, but was the intelligence was it human or was it extraterrestrial? I, I think that's where people sort of draw the line, right? So the conspiracy theorists will argue this was extraterrestrial in nature. It was a claim that the formation appeared in less than an hour and during the daytime. So that's very contrary to how a lot of these other crop circles appeared most of them appear at night which i'm going to mention here in just a second 
but it was later revealed that that was an inaccurate reporting. The circle had, in fact, been made in about three hours by three local hoaxers, (laughs) kids in a field, right? right? Very early in the morning. It simply hadn't been noticed until the following afternoon when spotted from an airplane overhead. You know, there's several features of crop circles that tend to be pretty consistent. First of all, crop circles are most often formed at night and noticed by farmers and motorists the next morning. Imagine that, right? Yeah. That they only appear at night. Uh, Crop circles have never been recorded being made. We, we don't have any video footage of uh, crop circles appearing. I did see a hoax video a few years ago where it, it appeared that uh, uh, a crop circle just sort of faded in uh, into, into the field, but it was very clearly an edit job. You know, it wasn't real. But hoaxers, on the other hand, have filmed themselves doing exactly this. And, Jason, it wasn't probably um, 10, 15 years ago that I saw – Uh, a documentary on the History Channel, and they had a group of hoaxers. Of course, their faces were covered because apparently they wanted to keep doing this and (laughs) didn't want to upset the crop circle community, I guess. (laughs) It's me, it's me. Yeah, yeah. So what they would do is they had these uh, long two-by-fours, and they had a string tied to each end of the two-by-four, and the two-by-four would be laid flat down in the field, and they would hold on to each end of the string, and with their feet, they would push down into the, the corn or the oats or or whatever the the crop was and just kind of push the stalks over in a radial pattern and you know just by extending a, a string so so they could put a string at a central point and and sort of pull it tight uh, you can walk around with that string uh, centrally oh, yeah. mounted and create a circle right sure yeah you know and, and just kind of push these stalks down with a piece of wood as you go and it seems like it would take a lot of time to create these intricate patterns but they showed it could be done in about two to three hours depending on wow. the complexity of the project. So I found that very interesting. Crop circles usually appear in fields that provide easy public access because, of course, you know, aliens need to, to come in off the <laughs> that's interstate. Right, that's right. <laughs> you know, they need to have quick access to their, their crops and fields. Um, but but what's the verdict here? You know, are crop circles real? I, I'm going to I'm going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think most people that's that's a stretch, even for your your diehard conspiracy yeah. theorists. That's the, the crop circles. Are like okay, you got us on that one. That was that was probably fake. <laughs> yeah, and and the interesting thing about crop circles that does differentiate it from everything else is that the actual thing exists. You know, there's no denying that there are these crop circles. It's just the nature of how they appear that is in debate. So you know, it, it's pretty common knowledge that most crop circles have been primarily created by hoaxers who use the cover of darkness to create these elaborate designs and then they flee the scene and sort of watch from afar <laughs> watch the show <laughs> to see right. how everything develops so yeah crop circles very interesting conspiracy still floating around out there and another conspiracy jason is something related to our very own moon so, Wait, what? <laughs> what? The moon? The moon yeah. landing? Yeah, well, the moon itself is real, I think. I haven't heard any conspiracies otherwise. Have you touched it, Shannon? I've not. I did hear once that it was made of cheese, okay. and I can't debunk well, that Well, I personally. sure hope it is. <laughs> so, Jason, what can you tell us about the moon landing and conspiracies around that? On July 20th, 1969, mankind landed on the moon. Or did we, Shannon? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard we did. I guess that's I guess that's the big question. The moon landing is probably the most significant, biggest, most popular, however you want to say it, conspiracy theory of the last hundred years, uh, quite honestly. 
But before diving into the moon landing, we really uh, need to start with the Cold War, which was years and years of a game of anything you can do, I can do better uh, between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. These two superpowers competed with each other on the battlefield, within the economy, in the Olympics, and even in outer space. The first two major accomplishments in regard to space technology went to the Soviets. In 1959, the Soviets launched Sputnik, which was the first man-made satellite to orbit Earth. A couple of years later, in 1961, the Soviets put the first human in space when cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin orbited Earth for about an hour and a half. Many people in the U.S. were becoming worried about the U.S.'s inability to keep up with the Soviet space technology. But President Kennedy put the world on notice on September 12, 1962, while giving a speech at Rice University in Texas, JFK told the world that the U.S. would put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. And many people believe that this extended but significant goal gave the U.S. agency uh, time to catch up. Yeah. So basically it was we, we know we're a little behind, so let's give ourselves some time, but let's, let's raise the bar really high. So this, this will buy us some time to kind of catch up in this space race here. Yeah, he actually threw a date out there and said, we're going we're gonna to do it by yeah. this time. That's, yeah, this, that's big. Th- this is the goal. So NASA got to work, and on July twentieth, 1969, Apollo 11 landed on the moon, and Neil Armstrong said these immortal words. That's one small step for man. So just to give you a little timeline of the moon landing, uh, and of course this is sort of minute by minute here, so kind of bear with me, but it is interesting though. On July 16th at 9.32 a.m., Apollo launches, so it leaves Earth. Twelve minutes later, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins reach Earth's orbit. So it it takes 12 minutes to get to space, outer space. On July 19th, they enter the moon's orbit. The next day, on July 20th, the lunar module, the Eagle, lands on the, <clears throat> lands on the moon at 4.17 p.m. And I thought this was interesting, that it actually lands on the moon at 4.17, but at 10.56 p.m., Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin walk on the moon while Michael Collins orbits the moon in the command module named Columbia. So it's interesting that they actually landed at 4.17 but didn't leave uh, the vessel until 1056. Hmm. thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. Uh, and then on July 20th, of course, they take the pictures, or so we have been told, right? right. So they, they yeah. take the pictures and they put the flag and they do the moonwalk and, and whatever else they do there. And then on July 24th, the astronauts uh, splash down off the coast of Hawaii for a successful uh, moon landing. The nation celebrated this unbelievable success, but many thought, It literally was unbelievable. In 1976, a man named Bill Casing wrote a book titled, We Never Went to the Moon, America's $30 Billion Swindle. This book really got America talking about a potential cover-up. Have you ever heard of that? Ever heard of that book? I've not heard of the book. Um, I've heard of the cover-up theories, though. So I guess, so did all that originate with the book? Uh, most of it, yeah. Okay. Uh, that was really sort of the the book uh, that kind of spearheaded everything. You know, there was always some doubt, but that really kind of uh, added fuel to the fire. Okay, and kind of gotcha. s- spread that doubt, sort of you know even worldwide actually. So conspiracy theorists will point to a few facts that they say proves the moon landing was a hoax, and I'm sure most of us have probably heard of these. 
Uh, first and foremost, uh, they cite the the shadows from the pictures. So you've probably heard of this, right? I have so a little bit. You see some of the the equipment, some of the astronauts themselves, and there's some shadows cast. And of course, it gets it gets into a lot of a lot of science, right? But they but they begin to to question and and basically state that some of those shadows would be impossible where they were in position to where the sun was. Mm-hmm. Um, that they claimed that there was maybe some stage lighting that that had occurred. So that's that's one thing is that they said that they they say the shadows don't match up. This this coincided with a big era of Hollywood too. Yeah. Oh, where a lot of oh, these yeah. stage settings and things were really coming into prominence. Yeah. So. The timing there is interesting, if nothing yeah. else. Movies were really turning the corner. Big time. Yeah. Uh, and we'll talk about that just in a second. Another famous topic uh, they point to is the American flag. And I'm sure we've all heard about this, where it seems as though that it's waving a little. That's that's the first one I ever heard of. And when you mentioned you were going to talk about the moon landing, that's what I imagine that there's the, the flag, right? And right. It's, it's waving, in a sense. So, right. And yeah. so, uh, so conspiracy theorists say that you know there is no wind on the moon, so therefore it should not be flapping, as it were. So, and they they basically say, well, it's in a studio, and there's probably industrial fans, and that's it's picking up or the air conditioning, and that that's why it's doing that, you know. So people that will uh, support the claim that no, what had happened uh, from what I've read is that on the flag there was there was basically a horizontal rod that ran atop the flag. So there was the vertical, you know, stick that you obviously you put down into, into the ground. But then there was also a horizontal uh, rod that ran that, that the flag sort of draped down from. Okay. And that uh, and so what you're seeing uh, when that uh, some people will talk about the movement of it, that uh, even in a, in a vacuum, if, if you if you touch something, it's going to swing a little uh, back and forth until it comes to a rest. So that's. That's what scientists would say is that you know, what what you're seeing there. So again, sure. okay, maybe well, that makes sense. Maybe cause... maybe not, but that's what they're saying though. But when I read that, that didn't make sense to me, especially about the horizontal rod where it's it's hanging down. Yeah, uh, of all the things we've talked about, that's the one that gave me the most pause. You know, clearly some of these things are right. like, oh yeah, all right, sure, but the the flag waving is something I, I never knew how to account for. Right. Yeah. I, I I didn't look into it too closely. You know, yeah. I, I'm sure I could have went on Google and. <laughs> kind of figured out what was going on, but that's the one that I thought. I wonder what the explanation is there. Right. So it's just the construction of the flag. Itself. That, that's that's what they say. Yeah. Okay. Of course, uh, another topic that they uh, often will uh, mention is is basically the timing of the event that you know JFK had promised America and the world you know that by the end of the 1960s someone would be on the moon. Yeah. Uh, and of course, it happened in in July of, of 1969. So they were getting pretty close to that deadline. Sure. And so that's a that's another topic that people sometimes will say, well, that's awful convenient that just at the nick of time, almost that you know that it was accomplished. Yeah. And then finally, another one uh, basically deals with radio waves. And so, like, if if you were to uh, be talking to someone on the moon, it would not be instantaneous communication. That I mean, it's it's roughly a quarter of a million miles away. And so radio waves, light waves, they take uh, even would take a couple of seconds, you know, to to uh, transfer that information from Earth to the moon. And so there there are some some recordings of communication between uh, the astronauts uh, and, and command center back on Earth. And that you can you can you can kind of hear a little bit. And of course, this this audio file may be faked as well, but you can but you can hear a third party uh, a couple of times in this particular audio file that's that's on all kinds of documentaries that you just hear him say, whoever this is, you hear them say, 
talk. And he says it real quietly. And what they're saying there is that the astronaut uh, had another, you know, like, like an earpiece oh, in. He was taking like a cue from and somebody. He was taking a cue and he was telling them uh, basically when they could talk to account for the time. So not to talk too soon because it would take about two and a half seconds before a radio wave from Earth to hit the moon. And so he wow. would be like one Mississippi, two Mississippi and a half. Talk. talk. Okay. And then he could to to allow and, and to basically kind of And that's actually in the file. That's that's not something No, I mean that's been forged. I mean that is that as like best the legitimate I, as file? best yeah. I understand, yeah. And so huh. that that's another thing that they that a lot of conspiracy theorists will will talk to. And just another fun fact. So uh, on average, it takes radio waves about two and a half seconds to get to, to the moon. Depends on you know where you are necessarily on the moon and where it's being sent from. But within a few tenths of a second, it takes about two and a half seconds. That's pretty incredible, though. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, if we take just a moment to appreciate <laughs> that, yeah. that someone on the moon can receive a signal within yeah. two and a half seconds. In about two and a half seconds. That's crazy. Uh, and on the flip side of that, I know that we had uh, recently you know, done a, an episode on Mars. Yeah. So if if they sent the same message to Mars, it would take 13 minutes. Still though. So that kind of, you know what I mean? So you, <laughs> I can you would, see that. Yeah, I can so see, you would sort say of see the translation between the two. But man, even that to me seems just so space age. <laughs> I know it's crazy. It's just crazy. But perhaps the most interesting conspiracy theory regarding the moon landing deals with movie director Stanley Kubrick. Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey was released in 1968 and was a big hit and captivated audiences. So much so that many people in the 70s and 80s and even some all the way through today, they believe that the government hired Stanley Kubrick to direct the moon landing hoax. Man, you know what would have made that better if if he did direct the moon landing hoax? If you just see from The Shining, Jack, Nich- Jack, Jack Nicholson. Nicholson pop in, here's Johnny. <laughs> yeah. You know, oh, that would have been great. Yeah. It's like, okay, I, be- I believe this uh, Kubrick thing may have maybe some legs to it. Maybe you know, I think I maybe would buy he is in involved if, if that happened. <laughs> That's right. Jack Nicholson <laughs> as Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong. You look on the moon, it just says red rum written on the. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. Another really, really interesting spacey type of conspiracy theory that there's been movies about this. And to me, this is one that is one of the more cooler kind of theories when you yeah. just kind of think about it because sure. it's sort of simplistic in nature. But it, I just there's something about it I've always thought was cool. Can you tell us about the men in black? I can. And they're not just actors on a screen. They're not just part of a movie. Uh, the comic books and the movies themselves were actually based on conspiracy theories surrounding these real or, well, <laughs> noted, quoted as being real, men in black. Uh, so what are they? You know, the men in black are supposed men dressed in black suits who claim to be quasi-government agents, and they have been said to harass or th- threaten UFO witnesses to keep them quiet about what they have seen. So a lot of conspiracy theorists who are a little bit closer to the action and say that they've actually been a part of seeing a UFO or involved in some sort of extraterrestrial encounter will also say that shortly after the event occurs, they'll be visited by these men in black, people who claim to be part of a government agency, and they will come in and they'll essentially tell them, you didn't see what you thought you saw, and if you say that you saw this thing, bad things will happen to you. So it's been noted several times. It's sometimes implied that the men in black might be aliens themselves 
in some of these encounters. Uh, the term itself is sort of generic. It's used for any unusual, threatening, or strangely behaved individual whose appearance on the scene can be linked to a UFO sighting. And it's most often associated with people who claim to have seen UFOs. So at least it has that consistent thread throughout it. Now, there's a, a group of conspiracy theorists called UFOologists. Now, you know, again, I didn't know there was a term for, for such a thing, but apparently there there are UFOologists out there, people who study UFOs, UFO folklore, and all the things surrounding uh, a lot of these in, supposed encounters. And men in black are discussed prominently in UFO folklore. In fact, in the 1950s and the 1960s, UFOologists adopted a conspiratorial mindset and began to fear they would be subject to intimidation or retaliation retaliation for discovering the truth of the UFOs. So they were afraid these men in black were going to come in and and hurt them in some way uh, for discovering the truth. So in 1947, one of the most noted accounts here was from a man named Harold Dahl. Uh, Harold Dahl claimed to have been warned not to talk about his alleged UFO sighting on Maury Island by a man in a dark suit. Uh, in the mid-1950s, just three years later, the UFOologist Albert K. Bender claimed he was visited by men in dark suits who threatened and warned him not to continue investigating UFOs. And he actually wrote a book about this. And what's really interesting to me is that many of the more noted UFOologists or the people who claim to have seen UFOs also accompany that belief with a book deal. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of interesting there. to That's to sort wonder. of how it works, right? Yeah. So in his 1962 book, uh, Flying Saucers and the Three Men, Albert Bender describes the men in black like this. And I, I just found this fascinating. It just sounds like something out of, uh, you know, a Stephen King novel or a, a Lovecraft sort of novel. It says, They floated about a foot off the floor. They looked like clergymen, but wore hats similar to Homburg style. The faces were not clearly discernible, for the hats partly hid and shaded them. The eyes of all three figures suddenly lit up like flashlight bulbs. They seemed to burn into my very soul as the pains above my eyes became almost unbearable. So, Jason, how well will you sleep tonight? <laughs> <laughs> if if I look up and I see uh, three guys walk into my room with glowing eyes, uh, I am out. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I'm out the window. Right. So, you know, there's the, the interesting thing about the, the men in black, like a lot of this, is that, you know, there's there's never been any hard proof. There aren't any photographs out there. There's no videotape out there outside of testimonials and things such as um, the descriptions that we find in the books of people who have supposedly come into contact with the men in black. There, there's nothing there. I mean, it's uh, very, very much like explaining like a supernatural phenomenon. You know, again, there's hoax videos out there. You know, there's a, a video floating around of Bigfoot that I'm sure we've all seen. <laughs> But, you know, there, there's nothing out there concerning the men in black outside of these stories. So in that way, it's very much sort of an oral history sort of reporting that occurs with the men in black. So given that, you know, what, what's the verdict on the men in black? Well, no direct proof exists of these individuals. Only the stories shared by people convinced 
that UFOs are piloted by aliens. In many cases, these same individuals write books about their stories, calling into question whether the stories are fabricated for financial gain. So Surely not. Surely not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they are interesting, though. I'll say that, you know, when I, I read that, I thought, man, that that would make a really interesting fiction novel if we could just call it that. Right. right. But yeah. this is obviously written as almost an autobiographical account of what the author saw. But, Jason, there's a, there's another phenomenon that uh, and I think this is the last one here that we'll we'll discuss. And I guess it's more of a theory than a phenomenon. <laughs> but some folks claim that the Earth is not a globe as we suppose. So what can you tell us about uh, an Earth that is mostly flat? I can tell you that there are a lot of folks that believe that the earth is as flat as a pancake, Shannon. <laughs> that sounds a little funny, but that is that is that is true. You know, Area 51, okay, maybe, maybe not. Uh, the moon landing, okay, maybe, maybe not. The flat earth uh, theory, uh, I think that's that's really hard to sell. That That's really tough to sell, and it's even tougher to buy. So basically, it is what it is. I mean, there are people that, and this this theory has actually gained momentum in society. I'm sure probably due mostly to social media. Sure. Uh, But there's been some some celebrities, some pretty uh, popular athletes that have come forward and said, you know what, this maybe there's you know maybe there's something to this. Uh, First of all, go over just a few reasons of, of of why we believe that the earth is a sphere right it kind of sounds funny to even to even talk about this but so we'll just throw some reasons out here number one we have photographic evidence all right so we have pictures and we have videos from countless satellites and even private companies that everything that we have of the earth that it looks as though that it's that it's a uh a sphere second is that we have the uh uh, the horizon and the curvature of the Earth. So obviously, if, if you're looking out in the ocean and you see a ship, you know, kind of sailing away, that it doesn't just go off into the distance; that it slowly disappears from like bottom up, right? Right. Like as, it's, as if it's going over the top of like a ball. Yeah. You know, pretty much. Obviously, it's not uh, daylight and nighttime at the same time everywhere on the planet. You know, so so <laughs> we know that. Uh, and then you know, all the other planets that we see, both with the naked eye uh, and with, with uh, telescopes, that they are round. All right. So we know that. So why would we think that the Earth would be, uh, would be anything different? So I say all that to say now, here are what some of the flat earthers uh, would have to say about some of these theories. So number one, the, the uh, photographic evidence and videos, just throw all that out because it's all a massive cover up. Cover up that uh, people just would not imagine how long it's been going on and who all is involved. So anything with video, just throw it out the window. We can't even account for that. Right. So that's gone. The daylight and night. I thought this one was really interesting. That people that subscribe to the flat Earth theory, they believe. So if, if you can imagine, just like uh, imagine a poster board, and that you would put it on a table, right? So that represents Earth, and they believe that the sun is a sphere, okay, that the sun is a sphere, and it's above us, and it rotates in a circle above us, getting mm. getting closer and then getting farther away. So as that would happen, like, so you can imagine this circle just that's going on continuously above this this flat piece of paper that at times, if, if, the, if, if the sun, let's say, was a light bulb in this experiment, that at times part of the paper would be illuminated and then when you when it would go around a circle other parts would get darker because it's going away from certain parts of it just for a few moments while it rotates <laughs> right. so that's what they say uh, yeah. so the the flat earthers uh, and then there's actually one uh, that I think probably has more credence than anything 
And basically they say, you know, what does your gut tell you? You know, they said, does it feel like that you're on a sphere rotating several thousands of miles an hour hurling through space that's also orbiting the sun? I mean, do you feel as though that that's happening, that we're going, you know, so fast? And, of course, that's the only one where you could say, well, no, it doesn't feel like, you know, that that's, that that's <laughs> right. occurring, you know. But that's that's basically the the theory of flat Earth, and that that was kind of a, a quick one there. Uh, but but it is an interesting one. It's it's one that's probably been in the news a little more than the others, uh, but it's really hard to buy. I have a question about it that I've never really understood, and and maybe you know, maybe not. But what what's the point of, of saying the Earth is flat? I mean, I could understand Area Fifty One. You want there to be aliens. You want there to be something greater out there than right. humanity. Roswell, sure, cool alien bodies. You know, that's that's got to be something interesting to see. The Earth is flat. Who who, who profits from that? Yeah. <laughs> what you know? I mean, what's what's the point in that? I don't really, I don't really see one, and I think that's the that's sort of the the deal here with this one is that this one I think uh, probably maybe more so than any of the other theories, people probably like to enjoy the argument. Yeah. I think more or just try to disprove the obvious and what every piece of scientific data tells us that I'm going to try to look away and, and kind of come up with my own. Uh, the other ones, like, I mean, maybe you can prove some of this. Maybe it's at least there's some gray area where you could think. This one, I think, pretty, pretty tough to buy. Yeah. All I can think is maybe if this were true and it was a big cover-up and a big, you know, conspiracy, then maybe other things could be true as well that are right. sort of outlandish. So right. in some ways, maybe this is uh, treading into the waters of, well, if we can just prove this one thing, then, then that everything's game, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything everything's is game. called into question. Yeah. So Shannon, I think uh, that brings us to a close on this episode. So anything you would like to add? No, I thought this was an interesting episode, really interesting study. And, uh, yeah, I will sleep very well tonight having that image of the men in black. You just, you just watch out for those, those, three, <laughs> those three sets of glowing eyes coming at you tonight. There. I'll be on the lookout. <laughs> uh, thanks to all of our listeners. And you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the handle SlapdashPod. Join us next time as we will have a special remote episode as we head into the Christmas season. So, so long. Until next time. Take care, everyone.